Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell tonight. We have a great show, the first show of 2019. We're going to be talking to NASCAR Truck Series owner DJ Cop. He's the owner of number 83 Chevrolet in the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series for 2019. Uh, we'll talk about him, about what his plans are for 2019, what his long-term plans are for the team, and what about the finances of the Truck Series team. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, this is the show for you. DJ will call in in about five minutes. But first, the big news of the day is Johnny Sauter out at GMS Racing here for 2019. Uh, it was a week ago that Mike Beam, general manager of GMS Racing, was on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio and explained to the, the host and everybody on that show that Johnny Sauter would be back in a GMS Racing Chevrolet Silverado in 2019. And now here we are just a week later. And Mike Beam is, is, you know, what he said has not turned out to be true, it seems like. Um, Johnny Sauter out at GMS Racing now. He said on SiriusXM Radio today that Brett Moffitt will be the driver who replaces him in that car in that truck next season. Uh, Sauter's a, a perennial playoff contender, a perennial championship contender in that truck for GMS Racing on a, on a yearly basis. It's really shocking. Um, GMS, they, they came out and they said they're going to have three trucks. Sheldon Creed, who won the ARCA championship last year, he will run in a truck. Um, they also will run with what was Johnny Sauter's truck, number 21. It's now going to be apparently Brett Moffitt, according to Sauter. And Moffitt's a great driver. There's no doubt about that. I think when you look at what's, what Moffitt's done in this series, um, you know, he, he won a championship last year with um, Hattori Racing Enterprises in the 16 truck, lost his ride to the Austin Hill, and uh, it was it was kind of, you know, a little disalarming because you kind of sat there and you said, well, you know, it kind of stinks that the champion of the series isn't going to have a ride. And it looked like Moffitt was out, but all of a sudden he pops up. Now, Moffitt's an interesting driver because he doesn't have sponsorship, uh, or at least it, it seemed that way, that he didn't have a lot of funding. Now he moves out. Sauter sounded like it was a little bit of um, – uh, financial reasons. I have another theory on why this happened. You know, I think Chevrolet had a big thing to do with this here with Brett Moffitt. You know, Moffitt's a guy who was with Toyota last year, as we said, um, and they kind of let him go for Austin Hill's going to be in that truck this year. Good for Austin Hill. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a, he's, a, he's a good young driver who's got some funding behind him. Um, but, man, it, it makes you scratch your head a little bit because you say, well, Moffitt's the champion. What else do you want to do? as a truck series owner, other than win the championship. Um, and, you know, here's Moffitt out of a ride at the end of the year. And it looked like he didn't have a whole lot. And now he comes up popping up at GMS Racing, it seems like, to replace Johnny Sauter. So, you know, I, I feel bad for Sauter in this. I do. He's a great, like I said, he's a championship contender every year. Um, he's done a great job at GMS Racing since he's gotten there. He's really helped build that organization and that truck series team from the bottom up. I mean, they were a good team when Sauter got there, but Sauter really helped make them a championship contender. Um, and, you know, Spencer Gallagher wasn't as experienced as Johnny Sauter. Uh, he struggled a little bit in that truck. He wasn't a championship contender. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
and Sauter is. So it was very surprising to see um, Sauter, the news today, that Sauter's out at CMS Racing at the end of the year. So, or excuse me, at the beginning of this year, and, and Moffitt's in, it seems like. Um, I was surprised. You know, I look at it and I say, uh, what's next for Johnny Sauter? If I'm Johnny Sauter, um, you know, I take really anything I can get my hands on. And I know he said on Sirius today that he's not going to take right around and quote-unquote junk. Um, but Daytona's a, a toss-up. It's a, you know, you can get points in any truck, really, in that race if you're Johnny Sauter. Then you got Atlanta, which is a fun racetrack, uh, and then Las Vegas, and then it's Martinsville. But then you have a little bit of a lull in the truck series schedule. So you could find a ride. Maybe somebody changes their plans a little bit on, uh, on, on everything. So it makes you scratch your head a little bit as far as what he's going to do. A, a veteran championship driver, and we can go uh, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to go through each of the, of the truck series rides and see which one Johnny might um, you know, be an option for moving forward. Uh, it was really a, um, a, a shocking Shocking thing, you know. I, I can't. I I just could not believe Sauter's out. I mean, this is a guy again who runs for the championship every year. But I think Chevrolet had a lot to do with this. Um, you know, and think about what Chevrolet's endured the last week, week and a half. Um, they have Ross Chastain in an Xfinity Series car as soon as December hit. Chastain was in the Xfinity Series car, was going to run for the championship, and he was sort of their driver, as you can say. Um, a lot of people pointed him as the, the replacement for the one car with Kurt Busch if Kurt Busch retired at the end of the year. Um, and a lot of people looked at that and said, well, maybe Sauter uh, or maybe um, Chastain is the guy to replace him. You know, he, he's been getting that 42. He won a race last year, did a great job in, in that truck, in that car that he was in. And now he's out of that ride. Um, DC Solar had some financial issues. Sounds like they backed out of sponsorship. Chip Ganassi had to shut that race team down, uh, and that was a big deal, a really unfortunate thing um, for Ross Chastain in that uh, 42 car. So you know, they lose Ross Chastain, and you, it makes you scratch your head a little bit and say, well, maybe Chevrolet said, well, we lost our, our guy in Chastain. He's our guy. He's, he's the man that um, we wanted as our, looked at towards our future now we don't really have that. We have John Hunter Nemechek at GMS Racing, who's a good young driver. We have um, Noah Gregson, who's a good young driver. But if you're looking at the one car, which if you believe Kurt Busch, which a lot of people think it's a one-year deal over there at Ganassi for Kurt Busch, if you look at that and you say, well, who's going to replace Kurt Busch in that one car next year? It's a good question. It was, hands down, Ross Chastain. Because I think everybody assumed Chastain would go into that car and win a lot of races and run for the championship, but he hadn't—he's not able to do that now. So how do you sell that to McDonald's and the other sponsors on that one car? Say, hey, Ross Chastain—he won a few Xfinity races for us a couple of years ago, but it would have been a lot better if you sat there and said, hey, he's going to—you know—win a lot of races for us. If he won five races this year and competed for the championship, that would have been a lot easier of a sell to McDonald's to Cessna to the other sponsors on that one car. Um, so now that's not the case. And that makes you almost, that makes you very concerned. And maybe Chevrolet said to GMS Racing, listen, we have John Hunter, who could be an option to replace Jimmy Johnson in a couple of years when, when Jimmy wants to go. We need uh, other young drivers. We really don't have a, a huge development deal. Sure, we have uh, Noah Gregson and RCR does their deal, but I feel like the RCR deals are separate right now. 
Um, RCR is kind of out on their own island compared to Hendrick and, and the other Chevrolet teams. So maybe they sat there and said, we want Brett Moffitt to drive the 21 truck instead of Johnny Sauter. Johnny Sauter's had a cup career. He's had a career in Xfinity. He's been around the block a couple of times. He's the guy, um, you know, that, that, you know, a veteran driver who, who could do a lot of good things for us, but he's not a development driver yet. You know, he's not a guy we, we want to develop. So um, I think when you look at that from that standpoint, um, that, that's where I think this, this turns into is, is maybe Chevrolet was the team, the, the thing that made this happen and why Johnny Sauter's out at GMS Racing. Uh, who knows? You know, it could be a very, very um, – it's going to be very interesting to see how this all works out. 917-889-8280 is the number to call the show here tonight. On Talking in Circles, Clayton Caldwell flying solo here with you uh, on Talking Circles tonight, the first show of 2019. Waiting on DJ Cop, the owner of, of Cop Motorsports, number 83, Camping World Truck Series. Excuse me, I put a dollar in the jar. Gander Outdoor Truck Series team, uh, number 83, um, for his team next year. But, yeah, I was shocked. And, you know, I think Moffitt automatically becomes a championship contender. This was one, this was one of the teams that, that Moffitt had to beat last year. And remember, it was November uh, and after the Phoenix race in November where GMS Racing call, and Johnny Sauter called out Brett Moffat and said, we don't like the fact that he's using uh, TRD engines instead of the Elmore engines. Well, now how fate has it, a few short months later, he's going to be driving that number, that truck. So it makes you scratch your head and say, hey, um, what, what exactly is going to go on here um, with GMS Racing? What exactly went on here? And I just think it's Chevrolet. And this is what the truck series has become now. It's a development series. Same thing with the Xfinity series. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the early 90s and mid-90s, the Xfinity series had their own identity. They had a lot of drivers who were veterans, you know, the Tim Fiedewas of the world, the Randy LaJoys of the world, where they made a career in the Xfinity series, made a career in the Bush series. Phil Parsons did that for a while. Um, They made a big career out of it. And all of a sudden, the Xfinity Series became a breeding ground for young drivers, and they pushed those guys out into the Camping World Truck Series, where we saw Mike Skinner make a career out of the Truck Series, Ron Hornaday Jr., Matt Crafton's in that, Timothy Peters is in that. Now it seems like those veteran drivers are getting pushed out, a la Johnny Sauter. Um, And that's where you you scratch your head and get a little bit concerned, because you say, are we going to have those veteran drivers? Crafton is good at, um, at Thor Sport. You know, he's there he's got a contract at Thor sport where he can sign there and drive there as long as he'd like to Thor sport loves him that much. So he's safe. Grant Enfinger's a, a driver who uh, is, I still think ultimately wants to get to the cup series eventually. Um, and then they have my Snyder who's a development driver. So Thor, but Thor sports, one of those teams where they're not really a Ford development team. They're sort of out on their own with Ford funding. That's a very rare breed in the camping World truck series, you know, anymore. Uh, you look even at, at Toyota, Austin Hill, he's a younger driver, um, that, but they have some backing from Toyota. Kyle Busch Motorsports is a breeding ground. Harrison Burton, Todd Gilland, uh, Noah Gregson was in that truck last year. So a lot of, of, of young drivers come out of Kyle Busch Motorsports. You don't see those veteran race car drivers anymore. Um, and, and it's sort of a changing of the guard here. Sure, you know, you got the Norm Bennings towards the end of the field, um, and that's refreshing to see. But how many races is Norm Benning making? You know, and that's, that's the unfortunate part. So it's really become a breeding ground, and that's where I think Johnny Sauter is a little – where you look at it and you say, 
I kind of almost feel bad for him in a way because there's not a whole lot of options for him this season. And if he doesn't want to run around in quote unquote what he called junk, um, it's going to be interesting to see where he lies out because right now, you know, I feel like the truck series is very few teams in the middle ground. Um, and I was talking to a buddy of mine who's, who stated a good team, and this could be an option for him, uh, Nico Motorsports. John Hunter's not going to be there next, this season most likely. Uh, John Hunter-Nemechek running the full-time Xfinity Series season for GMS Racing and their number 23 car this year. So that's a Chevrolet team, and maybe he's got some bad blood towards Chevrolet, but you, say, you look at it and you say, hey, Joe, Joe um, I'll help you, and we'll run for a championship. We'll make some money and do this thing. That's certainly an option. I think that's a, a very logical option. For John Hunter Nemechek, or for Johnny Sauter to take over um, that eight truck next season, but other than that, you know, there's not really those teams right now. Uh, like I said, GMS Racing sort of filled, um, and Kyle Busch Motorsports. I don't see him going to. There is a seat open right now. I'm told Ben Rhodes might not return to Thor Sport, um, so there is a, a seat open there at Thor Sport Racing, and uh, you know, it just makes you wonder where Sauter's going to go. I don't think he's going to go to Thor Sport. He's been there already. And, uh, you know, I just don't know if he would do that, honestly. And, uh, you know, I just think when you, when you look at the standpoint of, of where Sauter's going to go next season, um, it makes you, makes you wonder what teams are out there, you know. And I, I think other than, than uh, Nico Motorsports, there's not a whole lot of teams out there. You know, maybe next gen or maybe um, – that, that 30 truck that ran a little bit last year. But, you know, other than that, I don't think he would want to take anything. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, with Johnny Sauter as the season progresses. If I were him, I would, like I said, I would take a, anything I could get my hands on for Daytona and pray that something comes up, that a, a team owner, you know, says, hey, Johnny Sauter finished eighth at Daytona. We want to put him in our truck and see if we can run for the championship. Um, you never know. You know, never know what this happens. But uh, unfortunately, I you know, I hope this isn't the end of it, but, you know, it, it's starting to look like these veterans are getting pushed out of this truck series. You know, without Sauter there, you just got Matt Crafton and really Grant Enfinger, who's been in the truck series for a huge, significant period of time. I'm talking about running full-time for multiple seasons. And, again, that's at a, a, a Camping World Truck Series team that is a, a standalone Camping World Truck Series team. Um, you know, they don't have any affiliation to the Cup Series. They don't have any affiliation to the Xfinity Series. It's just a truck series team. So um, it, it's starting to get to a point where it's a breeding ground, and, and these young drivers are what they want. And there's not – you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure how much it pays to win a championship in these series anymore. Maybe DJ can fill us in on that, how much it would cost, um, you would win to win the championship in this truck series. So maybe these team owners are looking at going, well, I'd rather have somebody with sponsorship – then even run for the championship because the prize money at the end of the year isn't really as good as we'd get for sponsorship, which is a major, major problem in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a surprising move. Um, but Brett Moffitt, I'm happy for him. Listen, you know, here's a, a, a guy who ran his guts out last year. Everything he got gets in, he seems like he runs better. Um, but I would be really curious to see what's, what the reasoning was behind it, whether Chevrolet was, was behind it. So, uh, but he, you know he's instantly, instantly a, a contender for this championship here in 2019. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I I don't know what else to say. I mean he's just a fantastic, fantastic um, you know driver and everything he gets in. So um, I, I'm I'm 
happy for him, and I think he will uh, compete very, very well. 917-889-8280. He'll talk in circles. Clayton Caldwell with you tonight here. And, and another interesting tidbit this, these last weeks that come out is what I talked about earlier with Ross Chastain and, and uh, Ganassi. Chip Ganassi recently swept down his Xfinity Series team. Also, it was announced officially, which I think we all had sort of an indication on this as the silly season went along, Rash Fenway Racing shut down their Xfinity Series team. So two major, major Xfinity Series teams. Uh, when you think about the Xfinity Series, you think about Rash Fenway's history with the Xfinity Series, you have to go all the way back to the, early, to the mid-1990s and late 2000s when Mark Martin in that Winn-Dixie 60 car basically won everything he ran in that, in, those, in that car. He was fantastic, phenomenal in that car. Uh, and it was a breeding ground for Greg Biffle. It was a breeding ground for a lot of, of really great race car drivers, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, Chris Buescher, um, drivers even today. You know, David Reagan ran that Xfinity Series car for a while. So a lot of, a lot of young drivers who are still in the sport made to cut their teeth in the Xfinity Series at Rash Fenway, and they're not going to be around next year. The person I'm hurt for the most, and I know that 60 car got a lot of flack last season for not really finishing all that well, and having a lot of wrecks, but Ty Majeski, you know, I think it's unfair for him to be judged on a half a season in the Xfinity Series, um, and not even, I would say, a third of the season in the Xfinity Series, and a car that had three different drivers in it. You know, I think that's very unfair to, to say whether or not a driver is good or not based on those circumstances. And so he's out of a ride, too. It looks like he might be going back dirt racing. Maybe he'll find something here. we still got a month until the, the trucks load up before Daytona, maybe even over a month for the Xfinity Series. So a very interesting case there um, at the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Um, and, and when you think about Rash Fenway, it is a little this, this alarming that they can't find sponsorship to sell their race team. Um, but they haven't been very strong. And, and I like Ryan Reed. He's a nice kid. He, he does a lot of good things. But other than the restrictor plate racetracks in the last few years, Ryan Reed doesn't really compete for wins. Let's be honest. Um, he's, a, he's a 10th to 15th place race car driver at anywhere else but a – uh, super Speedway track. And maybe it has something to do with Roush and, and their Xfinity Series program taking a step back. Bubba Wallace really didn't win, a lot of, didn't win any races when he ran there, and I know that was a half a season, or, or a season and a half, but, you know, when you look at it from that standpoint, you have to say, um, is it a bad thing for this series that these Cup Series teams are shutting down their Xfinity Series teams? It's a fair point. I think, personally, I like it. But I think you could make the argument as far as if you want to see the most competitive racing in the Xfinity series, you're not going to see it in 2019. I think that's fair, but I think in the long run for anybody who's uh, a fan of this Xfinity series, I think it's a really good thing um, that these, that these cup series teams are coming down because it it puts other teams in the mix. And, you know, if you follow this series real close, it sounds like RCR is going to shut down a a team. They had a three car team last year. sounds like they're going to go to a two car team. Wait till that's officially announced. I'm sure people will go up in arms about that. Um, but they got Tyler Reddick over there at RCR. They're, it's defending series champion. He, he's going to be strong. Cole Custer's returns uh, in the double zero. Hemrick moves to the Cup Series. Uh, Reddick really replaced him. Uh, Noah Gregson comes in, so he'll, he'll be a championship contender. Elliot Sadler's gone. He retired. Matt Tiff moved to the Cup Series. That's just the top six. Christopher Bell will be back. Um, at Joe Gibbs Racing this season, but he won't be there for long. And then you got Justin Aldire, uh, Austin Cindric, who will be back. Brandon Jones will be back again, and Ross Chastain. He's up in the air as well. You know, he ran most of the season last year for JD Motorsports, but again, he had a deal in place until about a week ago 
to go to the 42 team at, at Chip Ganassi Racing, and that fell apart. Now he's probably knocking down doors, begging teams to come back and say, hey, I, I need a ride. I need something next season. Uh, we'll see. You know, and Ryan Truex is out at uh, uh, Cowlick Motorsports there, so who knows where he's going to be next season. He was, he's replaced um, by Justin Haley, who was at GMS Racing in the Truck Series last year. So uh, very interesting to see what's going to go on with that Xfinity Series. But it, it brings forward some of these teams that uh, are underdog teams. You know, maybe a team like RSS Racing with Ryan Sieg. Maybe a team like uh, Jeremy Clements Motorsports with Jeremy Clements. Maybe a team like JD Motorsports. Uh, they're going to have Blake Cook next season in their car and uh, in one of their race cars. And, and so Cook's a, a good driver who, who has some success. Um, in the Xfinity Series of College Motorsports before they got College Racing, excuse me, before they got rid of him. So now you sit there and you say, um, can he make the playoffs in a JD Motorsports car? It's very possible. Ross Chastain did. Um, Michael Annette's going to be back there this season. He didn't make it last year, but he should. Uh, looking at the Xfinity Series and, and how competitive it, it's going to be this year, he should be able to make it into the Xfinity Series playoffs next season. Um, John Hunter is going to be there. He's going to be contending for a championship as well. So. There's still some big names there. There's still some nice young kids there in the Xfinity Series. But uh, when you look at it from the standpoint of um, what happens, you know, it makes you scratch your head a little bit and say, who's going to be the, the bottom 12? Because, uh, you know, those last two or three spots in the playoffs could very well be teams that are underfunded. But it will give these teams, like Jeremy Clements Motorsports, like um, RSS Racing, like JD Motorsports, some recognition, and hopefully some additional sponsorship to where those teams can compete for uh, years to come um, with that extra recognition. So um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing Roush is shutting down their Xfinity Series teams. And I don't think it's a, it's a mark on the Xfinity Series or on, uh, on NASCAR that Ganassi shut down their team. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. You know, Ganassi sort of – this was a, a really um, – unique situation with Ross Chastain in this 42 car with DC Solar. They had some things fall apart. Um, DC Solar, apparently their headquarters got raided uh, a few weeks ago and really um, sounded like he is, a, and, you know, nobody really knows where he is, the owner of DC Solar. So it's a little bit scary, um, that whole situation. And unfortunately for Ganassi, he had them tied into his Cup Series team and his Xfinity Series team. Um, so it makes you wonder what the heck's going to go on with um, with the 42 car, with Ross Chastain. And, and then, you know, on the Cup Series side, Larson's going to be there. Larson's a really, really talented young driver. He's going to run for the championship. So it is a, a very, very interesting situation there. But, again, it's not – I don't think a black eye on the series necessarily. I just think it's a, a thing where you look at it and you say um, – well, we have to make this – in my opinion, the problem with these lower two divisions especially is you have to make it profitable, more profitable for these teams and give more money to the Xfinity Series teams. You do, and, and that's on NASCAR and racetracks. I'm sorry. Um, you know, when I see Richmond putting a, a $15 million quote-unquote innovation – uh, at Richmond Raceway, 
I don't, I don't really feel sorry for the racetracks. When I see Phoenix and it's what well, it seems like it's third reconfiguration last year, finished that up, I don't feel sorry for the racetracks. Um, so, and those race teams, these race teams are getting fewer and fewer. And I think that is where you have to look at it and you say, maybe we need to give some more money, more uh, meat on the bone for these teams and these, and these lower divisions especially. The, the Cup Series is a, is a lot different with the business model a little bit because of the charters and how all that money and how the influx goes throughout the charters. they got all kinds of ways to pay uh, themselves, you know, with, with how you run in points, how much a charter is worth, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's a little bit different than the Xfinity Series and especially the Camping World Truck Series. Um, I know in the Xfinity Series, they cut the field down to, uh, I think, 38 truck cars this year. So they give you two extra spots at the end of the field. They've taken those away and, and reinvested the money from the purse into the actual purse. So when you look at it and say, well, that's probably about ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 more into the actual purse this season. And when that's spread out through the field, it's really not much. You know, if, if, the, if the last two drivers and last two cars, you know, took $5,000 a piece home um, from the Xfinity Series on, on winnings alone or $10,000 a piece, okay, $20,000, each team gets $500 more. You know, you look at it and go, $500 in this day and age for an Xfinity Series team is really not much to be going crazy about. So, um, yeah, you know, you can say that you've added more money to it, but you really haven't. And, and that's where I think we need to look at this, this series hard and really look at the, what is looked at as the best interest of this sport and say maybe that's where we need to, to sort of, you know, look at and say that's where these team owners are getting hurt. Because I, I don't think it's the fact that these cup drivers – I don't want to hear these – broadcasters and all these people in the media saying it's because the cup drivers aren't in the Xfinity Series field. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, I think everybody ran and raved last year about the Xfinity Series when we ran those four races for the Dash for Cash. Those same guys who ran and raved said, man, these are the best races we've seen in the Xfinity Series in 15 years. But they're the same people telling you that cup guys should be in the field. So, it makes you scratch your head a little bit and go, what, what, what is it? it are, are we, should we have cup guys or shouldn't we have cup guys? Because you're talking up the dash for cash races, which I think are a very healthy and a very positive thing. But yet you're telling me that teams are shutting down because they can't find sponsorship. I, I totally disagree with that. So, um, you know, and what we need to look at is just how do we get these teams more healthy? And I think how we get these teams more healthy is to give them a little bit more meat on a bone. Give them a little piece of the pie from the TV deal, from the uh, racetracks, and from the from the seats and everything. You know, at the end, these owners are the ones putting out their money. You know, and and uh, the owners have a lot of power in the Cup Series. I know the RTA and a lot of people despise the RTA. And listen, I get it. Uh, in sports, are a tough thing to to live by. Um, they really are. They're really a, a, a tough. You know, for the fans, it, it stinks. Unions stink for the fans. Um, so at the end of the day, when you look at a, a union in the cup series, especially for the owners, you say, Oh my goodness. Um, how's that a good thing for us fans? It's just the owners trying to protect themselves, but they put up a lot of stuff, you know, and you got to remember that, that these owners, as much as people want to kill them, these owners put up a lot of crap. They, you know, built a, especially in the cup series, they built brand new race cars for, for the COT. And then in five years, they're basically obsolete had to build new race cars on top of that, and it killed a lot of race teams. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, it's a um, 
It's we just need to give these owners a little bit more piece of the pie. There's no doubt about that. Uh, another thing I wanted to discuss, which I think is an interesting topic here, is the best race car driver to never win the Daytona 500. Um, I love the Daytona 500. I think it's great. And I think the Daytona 500, especially in recent years, uh, it's prestige is still there. It's, you know, the the feeling I get when I walk in that racetrack, Daytona 500 morning is still there. But it's a different race to win than what it was 15 years ago. You know, I think with the way the rules are now, with how close everybody is, luck is a bigger factor in a restricted plate track than ever before. Um, and that's not to say that it's, it's easy to win because if luck's a big factor, then it's a tough race to win because it's really not in the, the team's hands or the driver's hands, so it's a tougher race to win that way for sure. But, you know, it used to have, used to have, to have a, a, a good car, and now it just seems like 30 drivers – can win this race at the end of the at the end of the day, thirty drivers, and I always say a, a conservative estimate is about thirty to thirty-two drivers. There's always those six or seven at the end of the field where I don't think they have a shot at winning the Daytona 500, but everybody else in that field has a shot at winning it. And um, you know, handling hasn't been nearly a big of an issue at this racetrack since they repaved it. It's starting to get a little bit of characteristics back, but I don't know if we'll ever see Daytona the way it was. You know, when they had the big bumps in turn two, the big bumps in turn three, where, I mean, I remember watching Kenny Wallace inside a race car trying to tell us something about Daytona, and you hear his teeth chatter in turn two because it was such a, a, a big pothole in that race, or not a pothole, but a big bump in that racetrack. And, you know, that was back when it was paved in 1979. Our technology advanced drastically to 2012 when it was paved, paved again, and there was no doubt it needed to be paved. I was at that race. And twenty, what was it, twenty eleven when when the track was coming up, you know, if we froze our rear ends off out there. So I'm not trying to say it was a bad thing to, to pave Daytona, but it's taken a lot of the characteristics, a lot of the handling out of this out of this race. So to get back to my normal original point, um, I think Daytona 500 is a little bit overrated, especially more these days than it was 15 years ago, uh, and. You talk to a lot of the old Southern folks. I know David Pearson said this. I'm, I'm, I know. I remember Kerry Yarbrough saying this. The Southern 500 to them at Darlington was a much more important race to win, to their, in their opinion, because it was it was a a much more important race to win. And so, when you look at it from that standpoint, you have to sit there and say, um, what, what's going? You know, is it really an important race to win when? Um, you know, when these guys, these big teams, don't, these big drivers really take it all that seriously? I mean, that's that's where it is. So Daytona to me is a little bit overrated, but let's talk about some of the best drivers out there that have never won the Daytona 500. I think Mark Martin is one that immediately comes to mind, and, and when you think about his Daytona 500 and his Daytona 500 history, there's a few that stand out. One to me was... Um, you know, obviously 2007 with Kevin Harvick where he lost by half a car length. And the other one was, and I don't know how many people remember this, but in 2000, Mark had one of the best race cars out there. And Dale Jarrett told him he would go with him and and work with him. And Mark moved high on the racetrack thinking Dale Jarrett was going to go with him, and Dale didn't. 
he sort of left him high and dry. And if you remember in Victory Lane, Gale Jarrett said, um, I, I just want to apologize to Mark Martin. I told him I'd work with him. It went high, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't give up my position. And for whatever reason, he had, a, he had an excuse. And I'm not saying Dale, Dale did anything wrong there, but, you know, Mark was – people forget that in 2000, how close Mark was to even winning that race because he was a contender at the end. Um, but, you know, he openly didn't like play tracks. I remember towards the end of his career, aside from the Daytona 500, he wouldn't run the play tracks. He had that scary wreck at Talladega in 1997, and I think that sort of put a, um, a damper on his spirits for the restrictor plate racetracks. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, Mark's certainly a guy you look at, another guy you look at, and he, and this is what's interesting about these drivers is we sort of had a, a changing of the guard here as far as how these drivers are brought up, how these drivers um, are looked at. You know, Harry Gant, I think he's a guy, when you look at his numbers – you know, uh, great race car driver, but he was not very great. You know, Daytona and him never really seemed to get along for the Daytona 500. He was always competitive, and, and Gant was competitive in anything he ran. Um, but he was a, a notorious, you know, winning short tracks back in North Carolina back in the day. He was notorious for that, and that's what he was known for, and that's what he was brought up with. So these big racetracks at, like Daytona and everything, you know, he didn't, um, he didn't have a, a great success there, you know. Uh, so the closest he really came to winning the Daytona 500, well, I, I would guess, was 1984. He had a really good car in 1982 as well, but that's before restrictor plates. And it just seemed like when restrictor plates got on those cars, you know, here's Harry Gant's restrictor plate Daytona 500 finishes, 29th in 88, 30, uh, 12th in 89, 18th in 90, 25th in 91, 12th in 92, 21st in 93, and 34th in 94. So, you know, career was sort of marked before restrictor plates and after restrictor plates. He was pretty competitive. wasn't overly competitive, but he was pretty competitive on at Daytona before restrictor plates. But it seemed like when restrictor plates came there, um, you know, he really didn't have that much success. He had 13 DNFs there. And, again, that's a, an error in the 80s where DNFs were much more common on these big play tracks with engines and, and, and all kinds of part failures that we don't see anymore nowadays, but I think Gant's a guy you put on there just because he's a, a really good race car driver. Ricky Rudd, another guy who, Ricky had some success at his career in Daytona. Um, you know, when I think of Ricky Rudd, man, I just think of the diverse, diverse race car driver he was. How he could win anywhere, anytime, anyhow, and he proved that by, what he went, 16 years in a row he won a race? I mean, it was remarkable, and he ran his own team there for a lot of those years. Um, but when you look at his Daytona 500 performances, you know, he'd have some really nice runs. Sat on the pole there in 83 with Richard Childers racing. People forget that. Um, you know, and, and he ran pretty good, finished fourth there in 1990 with, with Rick Hendrick and the Levi Garrett car. Uh, you know, and he was, he was competitive fourth in 2001 in the 28 car um, for Robert Gates. So he had some decent runs there, but he was never really a, a guy that, let a lot of laps at Daytona. You know, I'm sure if you talk to him, he probably really didn't care for restricted plate racing because a lot of those, um, a lot of those veteran guys who, you know, um, ran before restrictor plates really didn't care for restrictor plates. I mean, I remember Sterling Marlin. When Sterling Marlin ran uh, at the end of his career, this guy won two Daytona 500s in the restrictor plate era. And he would he would say how much he hated restrictor plates. So, you know, it was common for these veteran guys who 
ran before restrictor plates and had a real long career even running restrictor plates to not like restrictor plates. Um, so I think that's where you saw sort of the disconnect. He's a guy certainly on that list. I think um, that that you know you know never won the Daytona 500, and you kind of got to sit there and say he was great. Ned Jarrett's another guy to come to mind. Now that that comes to mind. Now that's a long long time ago, Ned Jarrett. Um, but I believe it was 63 or 64. He ran out of gas coming to the finish, um, and he was never able to really get that Daytona glory. But you know he ran Daytona on the beach. I mean, you know, and uh, so when you look at that that standpoint, um, that's pretty remarkable. So, you know, he ran a lot of Daytona 500s, never won one. You know, Dale Jarrett always talked about how he came so close, uh, Ned came so close a couple of times and just was never able to do it. And I think it was 63 that he ran out of gas. But, man, a guy was a uh, multi-time champion in the Cup Series, did a fantastic job um, and was, was a really, really great race car driver. Could never conquer Daytona, but to his credit, and to, to his defense, the 500, I don't think it had that prestige yet. Um, it might have been like a racetrack they'd never seen before, which I think what made Daytona so unique back then was there was no Talladega, even when Daytona was built in 59. Talladega was modeled after Daytona, and I believe that Talladega was built in 66, around there. So there were seven years there where Daytona was the only racetrack like that. Um, and that's what I think made that so unique was because it was the fastest racetrack they ever ran at. And that was way before restrictor plates. They weren't going all that as fast as we go now without restrictor plates. So um, I'm not sure they told them it was that prestige. I'm not sure how much emphasis they put on winning that race. Um, it, I think it got more prestige as, prestigious as the years went on and as we saw it go down. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure about that. That's just my theory on that. So to his defense. But, you know, to look at Ned Jarrett's career – he won 15 races in 1964 and 13 in 1965. Uh, really remarkable. Two-time champion, 65 and 61. He won a championship um, in what was then the Grand National Division of NASCAR. 907-889-8280. Here talking in circles. Clayton called with you tonight, flying solo here, talking about the greatest drivers to ever win the Daytona 500. Um, just trying to think, you know, trying to spitball it here a little bit um, as far as who was a driver that never won the Daytona 500? You know, we discussed Mark Martin uh, at length. Um, you know, and what's funny is, and people forget about this, we almost had one of the best race cars. What makes Daytona so unique is two of arguably the best, three really, of arguably the best race car drivers um, almost didn't win Daytona, but they did. David Pearson, a guy you look at in, in – in 76, that was his only 500 win when he crossed, crossed across the start finish line um, with a damaged race car. He came that close to not winning the Daytona 500. Darrell Waltrip in 89 had just enough fuel to pull off and win the Daytona 500. Um, and when you look at that, you say, man, oh, man, he did it. Dale Earnhardt, I mean, 98 was a dominant year, and he dominated that racetrack for so long, but he only won one Daytona 500. So, um, and another guy you look at, and he's a guy, again, in the same boat as Ricky Rudd where you say he ran, had a little bit of a career, and he wasn't as long as Ricky as far as running before the restrictor plates, but he did run before the restrictor plates at Daytona, and he had a long career after restrictor plates, and his Daytona history has just, was just so wild. I mean, who could forget when Rusty Wallace went end over end in 1993 um, after contact you know, just end over end on the backstretch, one of the most frightening accidents at that time we'd ever seen. 
and you sat there and went, wow. I mean, he survived that. It was insane. And he walked out walked out with a, you know, sure he was bruised and battered a little bit, but he was fine other than that. Um, and he never seemed to have success until at Daytona, really until the end of his career. And people forget, you know, 98, 99, uh, and, and 2000, Rusty was, was very, very competitive. Finished seventh in, or third in 2001. Um, you know, he was very competitive at Daytona towards the end of his career in that Team Penske team. But the year that, he, that the Daytona 500 got away from him was 1999. Uh, and people forget that. You know, 1999 was a great Daytona 500. The finish was, was fantastic between Earnhardt and Gordon. But Rusty Wallace had arguably the car to beat that year. Um, and he led 104 laps. And really what came down to was that on restart, I believe, and, I, and I'm, I'd have to look at the tapes again, I believe it was Ricky Rudd um, on the bottom of the racetrack where Gordon, who was – it's funny because when you look at both of Gordon's first two Daytona 500 victories, he used a move that would have been illegal years before uh, by going below what would have been the yellow line. There was no yellow line at that point, but he went below the line there. It was a white line at that point to make a pass on Bill Elliott in 1997 for the 500, and he did the same thing to Rusty Wallace in 1999. And Rusty backed off. I think it was Ricky Rudd, who was a lap car on the bottom and didn't want to cause a wreck, and sort of backed off. And that gave Gordon and the rest of the front runners the lead. Rusty sort of lost the draft after that and faded, but he had a really, really good race car. And when you look at that 1999 Daytona 500, I'm not sure that's a race. And, and Rusty, again, 55 career wins, never won a restricted plate race, even Talladega. He went flipping in 93 at Talladega, too. Um, you know, and just had the worst luck at these restricted play tracks. And you can argue, and I've said this about Rusty Wallace, you can argue he's one of the best short trackers to ever live. Now, I don't know if he is Daryl Waltrip, I would probably put in that conversation, but Rusty Wallace was fantastic. And he was good at Pocono. He was good at Michigan. He ran well, a lot of different racetracks. Rusty was a very diverse driver, phenomenal, phenomenal race car driver on the road course tracks. You know, one last ever race at Riverside. He was a tremendous race car driver. It just seemed like whatever the reason for um, you know, Lady Luck at Daytona and Talladega just never came around for Rusty Wallace. And people think he was a bad plate racer. I don't think he was. I just think it was more luck. And his last end of his career kind of proved that at Daytona. And 1999 was a, was a year where you look at it and say, if you didn't think Rusty Wallace could run a restricted plate track, he proved you wrong there because that was the year he really ran good. He was good in 2001. Uh, and the 500 there as well was, was fighting there with Earnhardt and everybody at the end when that accident happened. Uh, but was a was you know, the last two or three Daytona 500s he ran in, he was very, very competitive. Now, I know when you look at his finishes, and this is what's funny. You want to look at Rusty Wallace from 1997 and before. 41st in 97, 16th in 96, 34th in 95, 41st in 94 with a crash, flipped in 93 and finished 32nd, 31st in 92, 27th in 91, uh, finished 7th in 90, which was a competitive race for him. 18th in 89, that's the year he won a championship. 7th in 88, uh, you know, and then we, we, it was before the restricted plate. So it just seemed like what that in the meat of his career when he won was winning 10 races with Buddy Parrott in 93. It just seemed like Daytona. And it wasn't like he ran any good in the 400 mile or either at Daytona. It just seemed to have some real bad luck in that racetrack and these restricted plates for whatever reason. And I'll never forget his quote at the end of his career when. He, um, you know, he 
talked about Daytona and Talladega. He said, you know, I'm just so glad I don't have to come back to this place anymore about Talladega because he said, I had nothing but terrible luck here. And, you know, he also won in 98, if you forget, he won the, the shootout in 1998, the Bud shootout. Uh, he got pushed from his brother Kenny there. A lot of people forget that one too. So he did have a restricted plate win, never won a duel or uh, 125, but he did win a a um, a shootout, but shootout which is now what, the unlimited clash, whatever you want to call it now. Um, he did win one of those, you know, and, and came close to winning a qualifier, 88, he finished second, 94, he finished second. You know, had some decent runs in the qualifying races there at Daytona and won a Bush Clash, uh, but shootout at that point in 1996 with assistance from his brother Kenny. So, you know, Rusty's a guy, great race car driver, just never seemed to have the luck at Daytona International Speedway to win the 500. And that's a big part of it, especially with the restrictor plates. Um, and I, I think he's definitely on that list when you look at real great drivers who have never won the Daytona 500. I think Rusty Wallace certainly is in that name. And, 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 and Bobby and Terry Labonte, um, those two. You know, Terry was a guy who, again, had a long career before the restrictor plates, had a career um, without restrictor plates, and then, you know, ran a long career after restricted plates. So never really got the victory lane. Bobby Labonte ran virtually his entire career, actually his entire career with the restricted plate, never got to victory lane. His best run in that race was 98. I mean, he gave Dale Earnhardt at the end of that, at the end of that 500, he gave Dale Earnhardt all he could manage. Um, and he tried everything he could possibly do to win that race, Bobby Labonte, in 1998. Also had that epic run if you remember correctly, way back in 2011 when Trevor Bain won his Daytona 500, uh, Bobby finished fourth in that 500 with, the, with JTG in his first race with JTG Racing, uh, JTG Daughter Racing at that point. Um, a, a phenomenal, phenomenal run there at Daytona that year. So Bobby came close a couple of times at Daytona um, as well, and he's a 2000 Series champion, but those two really stick out as, as the years where Bobby Labonte really had a good race car um, at, at Daytona, and um, it just never seemed to really win win that 500. It just never seemed to really um, put it all together. His brother Terry. Before I get to another driver, who's uh, I think the best active driver that never won the 500. We'll talk about that in a second. But you know Terry's 500 career was interesting as well. Never really found victory lane there. But Terry is a very diverse driver. Good on short tracks. Good on the mile and a half. Good on uh, on road courses. Everything he needed, he won a, a Bud shootout back in the day. And a lot of people forget that, too. Um, with, when he ran for Junior Johnson um, back in, let me see, 1989 in a Ford, his first race Junior Johnson ever ran in a Ford, um, he ran the 1989 qualifier, won that one. That was a 125 he won in that year. And then uh, he won the Bush Clash in 85 with Billy Hagan. Um, so... He won a couple couple of races at Daytona, but never was able to conquer um, the Daytona 500 for Terry Labonte. And, and again, you have to have luck in this race. That's a big part of Daytona 500, especially with restrictor plates. Um, came close to 90. A lot of people forget that when Dale Earnhardt had that issue and Derek Cope um, won the 500. Terry Labonte was there running up second in second spot there, um, right behind Derek Cope for the 500. He also finished second um, back in 1986. Uh, when Jeff Bodine won the 500 and Earnhardt ran out of gas, overshot his pit. Second in 97 with Jeff Gordon when Hendrick went 1-2-3 with him, with Jeff Gordon, uh, Terry Labonte, and Ricky Craven passing Bill Elliott at the end of the race. So Terry had three runner-up finishes in the 500 but never won it. So 
a very uh, interesting Daytona career for him. And the other, uh, an active driver who's never won the 500, I think is the best driver that never won this 500. And man, when you think about his career so far, the only thing, the only thing that is truly missing is a Daytona 500. Now he's won Daytona before. Um, he's won the 400 miler I think a couple of times, uh, but he's never won the Daytona 500. Had a really, really, really fast car in 2009 before Brian Vickers and Dale Earnhardt Jr. pulled their heads off their shoulders and wrecked the entire field running a lap down uh, and took out Kyle Busch, who had the best race car that day. Ever since then, he's never really come close to winning the 500. Finished third in 2016. Uh, missed the 2015 running of the 500 due to his broken leg in the Xfinity Series race. Uh, eighth in 2011. Kyle's a guy who's just never been able to really conquer the 500. He led a lot of laps in 2008, but wasn't able to pull it through. Um, and he's had a lot of bad luck, a lot of wrecks. So, again, luck is a major factor in this race. And Kyle, and it's funny because somebody put this on Reddit. How come nobody talks about Kyle Busch not winning the Daytona 500? He's running this race 14 times, 13 times if you take out the year he missed for the 500. Uh, and he's never won it. This could be his 14th try to go out there and try and win the Daytona 500. How come Earnhardt was such a big deal when he won it. You know, he hadn't won it in, in 15 tries. Why is, um, you know, why isn't we talking about Kyle Busch? Well, the the real honest reason behind that is because, you know, Kyle Busch was a guy who, um, you know, you look at it and you say, he's never really come close. You know, it's not like Dale Earnhardt won a 125 Every year in the 1990s, from 1990 to 1999, he didn't get beat in his 125 in his qualifying race. He did not get beat. That is something we will never ever see again. It was an unbelievable show of dominance. And he won how many Xfinity races here? How many uh, shootouts here? He won a ton of IROC races. He won Daytona so many times. And the thing that eluded him was the big one. And, and Tony Stewart's the same way, and that's another driver who I left out, who absolutely is one of the best drivers to never won the Daytona 500. Tony Stewart, um, I can't remember really him. I, I, I believe he was he finished when Earnhardt won his first one, when Junior won his first one. He, he, he finished running up there in 2004. But other than that, he never really uh, seemed to have a ton of luck in that 500 either. And it just shows you, you know, no matter how much talent you have and how good you are as a race car driver – uh, that Daytona 500 always seems to elude these, the, the, even the best drivers. You know, and Tony had a lot of, you know, I mentioned 04, second, uh, seventh in 05, fifth in 06, uh, eighth in, in 2009. Uh, you know, just an unbelievable run there he had for a little while. Uh, third in 2008, so um, just was never able to conquer it. So those to me are the drivers you look at and you have to put as the greatest to never win the Daytona 500. All those drivers I mentioned, and, uh, you know, Give me your opinion on 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 who you think um, is the greatest race car driver that never won this Daytona 500. Did I leave somebody out? You can put maybe Neil Bonnet in there as well. That's another driver who comes to mind quick. A lot of the older guys, uh, you know, Buck Baker, but I'm not sure how many starts they had at Daytona, and that really qualifies. So very interesting. Um, and Tony was a guy like Dale Stewart who won a lot of races at Daytona in the Xfinity Series. I, I think he won, what, six in a row in the Xfinity Series for a while there. He was phenomenal. So he's the only guy, I think, that comes close to Dale Earnhardt at Daytona International Speedway. I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. 
We'll see you next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.